Brandon. Brandon, you cut the locks. I thought we had a pack. I love the locks. Good morning, everybody. God bless you. So glad you're here with us at Calvary Chapel. It's good to see you all and your smiley faces. My name's Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, we're just glad you're here to fellowship with us. Open the word of God. Be refreshed, renewed. Have the Lord wash our minds. Amen. We don't come to hear man's wisdom. We come to hear from Jesus. That's what it's all about, right? So go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of the ushers or pastors or elders will bring you a Bible. Please don't be shy. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Everybody good? All right. Praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 3. So just as a way of coming back and sort of remembering the last three chapters we've been through last week, remember we had our conference, Dr. Berger came in and taught. And so I know sometimes when we have that week break in between teaching, we can get a little fuzzy where we've been at, right, as the Lord has been just ministering to us, meeting us. So just, as a, just some notes as a quick kind of refresher, if I can say it that way. Philippians, remember chapters 1 through 4, one of the most encouraging epistles that Paul had written to a church. Not one single aspect other than in chapter 4 where he specifically does two women that seem to be having a little bit of a, you might say, a heated discussion. Besides that, there's not one reproof or correction. Uh, out of all of the Pauline epistles, you know that most of them, Corinthians and Galatians, there were things that were being addressed within the church. But in Philippi, uh, actually, this is one of those commendation letters. Well done. Keep up. Stand in the faith. Seven times in this letter, we see the word rejoice. Rejoiced, rejoiced, rejoice. Again, it's that letter of encouragement to this church in Philippi that is being faithful. If you look at chapter 1, he begins with these greetings and then this thankfulness, right? He's thankful for the Philippians, these Christians, and he, he says that he's going to continue to pray for them diligently, right? And then we see the promise of sanctification, right? He who's begun the good work will complete it in you. That's verse 6. And he also says, you know, Philippi, even though I am sitting in prison in Rome here, handcuffed to soldiers on either side as he was through the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, writing this epistle, he says, please don't forget you are partakers with me of the grace of God. Wanting them to understand that just because Paul is in chains there, he is the freest man alive on earth at that moment knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? Awesome prison ministry, right? Everything that happened to Paul, he began to understand, and he knew this, but it was as it was being revealed to him, that, that again, that idea of the kenosko in the Greek rather than the ido, right? A kenosko in the Greek means progressive knowledge. He's learning as he's experiencing these things, and he's finding great joy and rejoicing. He comes back and he says, you know, for me to die or to live is Christ and to die is gain. Just think about that. Just, just meditate on that for a minute. It's pointing to an eternal mindset, right, and, and not temporal, and, and I would say that's part of the difficulty every day in our lives. 99% of the time we spend, we think of the temporal probably, not the eternal, the, the things that are going to be fleeting. Uh, it's kind of interesting, I bet, from God's perspective as he begins to look down upon us and think, you, you're so busy, you're so, you know, doing all these things, making all these things come to be, and for such a fractional point of time compared to all of eternity. 
And then he goes in verse 30 of chapter 1, he reminds us that suffering for the sake of Christ Jesus is part of the walk. Life may not always be comfortable. Chapter 2, the Philippians are to have the same love, mind, joy as Jesus Christ, um, denying selfish ambition and pride, right? Verses 1 through 3, the Philippians were to care for each other, looking out for each other and the, their well-being, others focused. He drew our attention to that. And then the Philippians will also understand that uh, Jesus Christ was not only exalted by the Father, but in every current circumstance, even though they may not always look favorable, right? Our circumstances change. Our God never does. We must not forget his promises and truth. And that's what we were reading on Wednesdays. If you join us on Wednesdays, you know we're in the Old Testament. We're just having to be in 1 Samuel. And that was really, if I had to think, one of the themes this week was that idea of David knowing Jonathan, Saul's son, knowing coming and they were, their souls were connected and, and beautiful, such a love for one another, but Jonathan knows and looks almost as a divine appointment from God as he looks down onto to David and says, brother, you know, as he knows he's going to flee because of Saul, you know, going after him that way. He's like, brother, God's promises are faithful. And because of that, he can trust the Lord. He, no, no matter what circumstances, no matter whether he finds himself in a cave or, or wherever he's hiding about, he knows God is faithful. And we here, thousands of years later, can echo that same sentiment this morning, can't we? God is faithful. Well, we continue on in this ever-present reality that in verse 11 of chapter 2, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? It's, it's not a matter of if, it's when, when. All to the glory of God as we receive there. And then the Philippians were to continue in their obedience, right? The things that were taught to them. It reminds me of Acts 2.42, right? To continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God, okay? The, the fellowship, that's what we do when we gather together, build each other up, lifting each other, bearing each other's burdens. The breaking of bread, we take a manj, as you would say in Italian, we eat, right? We make a manj. And then what? And prayers. It can also mean communion, by the way. And prayers. We pray together. And... It says that they were to continue doing that. And that's the model for the church today, Acts 2.42 and Ephesians 4, equipping saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we gather here. It's not a social club. It's not a good idea just because Hebrew says don't forsake the gathering of the saints. But the idea of why we gathered is to be built up, right, to hear the word of the Lord, to have our minds recalibrated, refocused, and to also be able to bear each other's burdens so that we are strengthened and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will bring us through the endeavors of life. We're also told that we're to be blameless and harmless without fault or malice, right? Even in spite of a crooked and perverse generation. Isaiah 5 says that they will call the days good and they're evil, and they'll call evil good, right? And I don't think it's a stretch to say these are the days we're living in today, amen? I don't think anybody here, I need to twist your arm to convince you of that, certainly. Be blameless and harmless without fault or malice. Rejoice while running the race, because we know that at the end of that race, the prize, Christ Jesus, lies before us. And then he mentions that his desire is to send young Timothy over to minister to them while Paul is in prison that way. And Epaphroditas, you remember his name? Some of you say Epaphroditus, or however you, you Papaditus, some of you pronounce it that way. He, he's a well-known and favored servant, right? 
Paul gives thanks to the Philippians for the gift that was sent for his well-being. And then chapter 3, bringing us really into our passage, we're going to begin here this morning in verse 17. Again, he tells us, rejoice seven different times. He warns the Philippians to be aware that there are legalists who are trying to teach an alternate gospel. Verses 1 through 3, he really hones in on that. Be aware in these last days, but even going on in that time, be aware that this is happening. And even with Paul's amazing spiritual pedigree, if I can say it that way, the Philippians were not to trust in the flesh, in the things of temporal accolades, earthly points of prominence. No, Jesus and our reliance upon Jesus. Not to say there's nothing wrong with going to school and earning a degree. Those things are nice, but that's not what we put our faith and trust in, is it? Not in ourself, not in our own self-ambition, not in our own striving, but in Christ Jesus. Right? It's not a blind faith. It's never been a blind faith. Faith is only as good as what you place it in. We place our faith in the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's reminding us and he's telling them, be careful, Philippi, because there are those Judaizers that are going to come behind me and they're going to try to institute a religion, some works-based system, whether it's, he calls it the mutilation. You know what he's talking about there, don't you? Circumcision. He's talking about the mutilation. If you look back in right at the beginning of chapter 3, he's saying that you have to keep the law. And unfortunately, 2,000 years later, there are still people walking around trying to emphasize a works-based mentality of keeping some type of religion to appease God. But very clearly, we read in Scripture, no one can please God without what? Say it with me. You know what it says. Faith. Faith. Faith is the thing, what? Is the substance of things hoped for, the things not evidence and not seen, right? Okay, yeah, good. So he's telling us, be mindful of these things and that their faith alone in Jesus Christ, right? Verse 9, the God of their faith. That's what he's drawing their attention to. Now, again, he then goes in the very next verse right there on child, verse 10, and, and so he goes on and says, and oh, by the way, just so nobody gets confused here, nobody's arrived. Paul himself says, we haven't arrived, right? And I, I love that. Just such humility. But we're to press onward towards that prize, again, towards Christ Jesus. And he tells the Philippians, this is the result, doing this, understanding these things. We're speaking about this summation I'm giving you here this morning, these first three chapters. This is all culminating with the maturation or maturity of a Christian. He said, those that are like-minded understand these things, have the maturity of Christ. There's a maturity that's happening, being built within this church in Philippi, and it's the result of a mature mind. So that brings us to verse 17. Let's bow our heads and pray, and we'll be line by line and verse by verse. Father, we do thank you this morning for your anointed word. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, is the only thing that will set hearts and minds free, Lord. Thank you that it never returns void, Jesus, and that through the meeting you hear in your word here this morning, in spirit and truth, God, we know that you are faithful. We know we can hold on to your promises. And Lord Jesus, you are coming again very soon. Lord, I pray that we would run with all diligence and intention the race that you've put before us, the race that the Apostle Paul spoke about, Pastor Paul here, Lord. And that every one of us wouldn't get uh, sidelined, Lord. We wouldn't get distracted with the cares and endeavors of, these, of this world, Lord, with all the shiny things. But Jesus, that our hearts would be so gripped with your love that nothing else would matter, Lord. 
Nothing else will do but your presence and relationship, your unconditional agape love that you have for us and that we have for you. Lord, we just want to meet you and be with you this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Let us be of one mind in Christ Jesus. We pray this and ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. 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 All right. Verse 17. We'll probably go to uh, chapter 4, verse 1 here this morning, just for your knowledge as the Holy Spirit should lead. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Seems simple enough, Paul, to echo this sediment, right? Join me in this following my example. I wish I could say that to you all this morning. And maybe some of you here feel the same way. You wish you could say that too. Paul is saying, imitate me, isn't he? He's saying that because I'm imitating Jesus. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, sitting in prison as he's, he's declaring these things to this church at Philippi, who he's, he calls his beloved. He so loves this church. And he's sitting there and he's saying, imitate me. And the church, as they would receive this epistle, which was common in the first century, would come in and it would be read aloud, much like we're doing right here now, uh, for the whole church to hear, for the bride of Christ, as they would be gathered, imitate Paul. Well, I want you to think about where Paul's at, what Paul's doing. Paul died to himself, didn't he? A long time ago. Paul turned around and he was willing to go to prison or really wherever God would send him and whatever God would have him do, right? He was tent making and he was willing to do anything for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as he sat in prison, he, he didn't turn around and, and look at that as a woe is me moment. No, he, he knew that God was creating a prison ministry. We, we joke around about that, but that's exactly what he did. He knew that those Roman soldiers would not have received Jesus Christ had Paul not been put in that place with a divine word to set hearts and minds free. And so as he's sitting there, can you imagine the church in Philippi hearing, imitate me? Oh my. Well, Paul, what you're asking is, is difficult. You might say it's overwhelming. You're asking me to be a prisoner, Paul, this way, to, to, to give up my freedom that way, to, to follow you and endure suffering and hardship. And that's not what I signed on for, Paul. I want the fire insurance, man. I want the fire insurance. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. That means I must be consumed by your love, Jesus, because if I'm half-hearted, I won't make it. I'll be duplicit. My mind will be separated. The house that is within me will fall apart and crumble because I'll be wayward in one way, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And, and Paul, you're saying that I'm to imitate you because 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 said that you imitate Christ. And that's what it looks like. That's what it really looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's refreshing to hear that, isn't it, this morning? It's refreshing to hear that it's not a rock concert, that it's, it's not a social club, it's, it's not something that we just lather up or work up within our excitement or spirit. 
but it's a sold-out relationship with the one true God who sets our hearts and minds free and completes us because he's our good father and he's a good God. It changes everything. It changes everything, our purpose, our life. It has meaning. We don't just walk aimlessly to and fro. We're not just wandering. No, we have a direct purpose from the God of the universe. And that's to be bondservants, doulos in the Greek. Many of you know the word. Willing servants of Christ. You see, Paul in verse 9 in chapter 4, we'll, we'll read it in a little bit. He says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He gives them the prescription. Paul's saying, this is what I imitate. This is what I do. Paul is a disciple maker. And friends, as I look in your eyes here this morning, so are you. So am I. We're reproducers. We have the gospel of reconciliation, as 2 Corinthians tells us. The one thing and the only thing, the narrow way that leads people back to Jesus and reconciles relationships, that does away with sin once and for all, and the nature and the carnality of our being, back to Genesis 3, where you have the introduction of sin, Jesus Christ absolves it and removes all of it. And not only that, but he enjoins a perfect relationship that can never be broken again. Not to say that we don't, maybe we use a Christianese, you know what I mean when I say that. We use a Christianese term, I'm backslidden. You won't find that anywhere in scripture. That's, that's our way of saying, well, I've got a little off. Got a little off. But you can never be removed from the hand of God, can you? There's a security and a beautiful certainty in this. And that's why it's based on a relationship and not on a religion. Every other religion, people walk worrying, what can they do to please God as far as they, their God and what, what it looks like works trying to earn it. Isn't it great that we walked in here this morning and we're like, whoo, that has nothing on me, man. I'm all about Jesus and I just love him and I love you. That's it. If we could just imitate him. Imitate Jesus and do this right. That's how Paul taught the truth of the gospel. It was simple. He lived it. Do you want to know what it is to be a disciple of Christ? Live after Jesus Christ. Love like he loved. And allow yourself to be loved. That's tough too, isn't it? That's tough too. He taught this beautiful truth because he lived it. Look, look with me. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, please. I'd like us just to examine this morning, what, what are the qualities or the character of a sound church? A church that truly are, have disciples of Christ Jesus in the fellowship. I, I think we all understand. I, I think back to the first church when I read the book of Acts, and I think, man, this is the perfect church. They got all the best apostles, right? They got everything. This is great. And it didn't take long, six chapters. And they're already fighting the Hellenistic Jews and the, and the other Jews. And who gets food and who's getting served and who's going first. And I thought, all right, nothing new under the sun. <laughs> nothing has changed. If you come to church and you expect it to be perfect human beings, you've come to the wrong place. This is a hospital, man. We love Jesus and... It's faith by faith. Amen? 
Well, if you've turned to Titus chapter 2, allow me to read this with you. But as for you, verse 1, speak things which are proper for sound doctrine. The first things we ought to do in a church is not draw people to ourselves because somebody goes, wow, you have a lot of wisdom. No, we draw them to Jesus because you're drawing someone somewhere. Please understand that everyone has a master. You're drawing them somewhere. Either drawing them to you or you're drawing them to Christ, okay? He says, these things are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What is he saying? That they're not hypocrites, that both men and women would not not be hypocrites, that they would live it out. Again, what Paul says, he lived it. Imitate Christ, living it out, okay. Likewise, verse 6, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be pattern of good works, in doctrine, in the word, showing integrity, reverence, in what? Incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is the opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. So that's speaking of submission and surrender. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Boy, that doesn't sound like anything we would ever get in the world, does it? That sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 14.40 to me. Do all things with decency and order. All things. How we live, the way we think, the pattern of our lives. And that was displayed for you and I and for all of humanity 2,000 years ago when Christ physically manifested himself on this earth and walked. Did he not live this way? Go back and read the Gospels. He lived this exact way. When he came, what is the thing he did? I mean, he could have done anything on earth. I I often say this. Why do we read line by line through the Bible? You know, if the Lord should tarry seven years, right? What are we going to do? Again, we're going to read it again. Why? When Jesus Christ came to earth, what did he do? He could have done anything. He could have come in and said, let me tell you all the things that I think. No, he went into synagogues. He went on the Sermon on the Mount. I call it the discipleship boot camp, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, right? What did he do? He went in and gave exegesis to his word so that the religious leaders of those days could understand his teaching because they had a lot of truth, but some of them were missing love. Some had a lot of love, but had no truth. Jesus Christ is the fullness of that. It's not a pepperoni pizza where you say, well, I'm going to cut back on the cheese for a little more pepperoni, okay? No, it's not a balancing act that way. It's the fullness of both, and it's beautiful because he said we can do that too, and he's called us to do that, to live that way, the fullness of truth and love. But we see just a beautiful response and how we're to live this out. Well, since you're already back here, why don't we turn to 1 Peter? We can take another look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5. Keep turning to your right there. And let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 through 11. And I think of the leaders in the church. The Lord speaks to my heart. I think of elders in this church, pastors, different people. Uh, Pastors, every man in here, you're the pastor of your home, aren't you? I think of you right? Mothers, you give instruction to your children, right? Grandchildren, family. This is a good word. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
He says, I, I partake in that. I'm, I've suffered with Jesus. What does he mean? Not according to the world system. I, I have not partaken in all those things. I've reserved myself from you know, certain things, and therefore it's brought on suffering, potentially. Not because of, he's not talking because of ignorance or stupidity, of fooling, you know, willingly entering into something that would be contrary to the gospel and calling that suffering. No, that's sin, right? There's a clear difference here. And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you. That's a good word for, for dads in here, for men. Shepherd the flock. The Lord's entrusted you. You live in a neighborhood. Every one of us, there's people in your neighborhood. Love on those people that are in your circle, your circle of influence, whoever that is. Love on them. Treat them like Christ Jesus treats us. He says, you know, shepherd the flock, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not because you're forced into it. I, I love when um, my wife says, I was volun, what is it, voluntold, voluntold. So, man, I guess a lot of you know it here already. Some of you are saying the same thing. I, man, I was voluntold. Some of you new people are like, what is that? Oh, you'll find out. Stay around for a while. No. Uh, what is my, hey, we could use an extra help with a set of hands. Can you do this? Would you mind, you know? The idea is we're not voluntold, are we? It's not by compulsion, but willingly. Do you see that? It's, it's speaking to the heart and the motive of the heart. Certainly, I'm not teasing my wife right now. She's, she's right. <laughs> she's probably right. But, but that idea, or some of you, you know, I've come up, hey, or somebody else has come up, hey. And you feel like it's a voluntold until you do what? You get with Jesus and like, all right, Lord, I understand. Not to dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords. That's the idea where you remember in Revelation when Jesus says, I hate the Nicolaitans, those lord over the people. We all know people like that. They, they use dominance as a way to inflict, you know, their force or their, their, their way. That's not what he's saying. This is all about a, a willingness, a self, you know, a willing service, not something that's being forced upon anyone over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It just reminds what we read in Corinthians that we're living epistles to be known and read by men and women. That is our testimony as we read. You know, the only Bible that some people may read is your life. Is your very life. You're walking about. That may be the only Bible some people read. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Notice that he doesn't promise temporal gifts. He promises eternal ones that do not fade, that do not rust. Not that there's not temporal blessings in that, because I believe there are. The peace of Christ, the joy, rejoicing, love, those are all wonderful, and they're here and now, and we receive those. But the eternal gift that will never fade away, the crown. I don't know about you, but I, I want that crown. Not for myself, because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ, as many of you will. And I'm going to take that crown off my head. I'm going to cast it at his feet. And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to go, there's not a single thing I ever did with the right motive. Ever. Without you and your Holy Spirit, Jesus. This belongs to you, my rightful God. I can't wait to do that. I, I look forward to that. It's worship and spirit and truth that way. You can turn back to Philippians and look at verse 18 here. 
He says, for many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping. Paul was invested emotionally that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So now he's going back to this idea again of beware. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Well, this is heavy. This is heavy here. We're going to take a few minutes here this morning to talk about this. We all know people like that, right? Um, I know that if I'm not fully surrendered, my eyes on Christ imitating Jesus, this can happen to me and it can happen to every believer. I, I don't need help in this endeavor. I, I don't need help, right? I don't need, uh, you know, I like to watch football. Some of you like to watch sports and, you know, the commercials come up and they got you know, whether it's the cheerleader, or the, I don't need hell. I don't need to watch that junk. I don't need those things. I don't need the pop-ups on the computer. I got a vivid imagination and carnality on my own. I don't need any help from the rest of the world in these things. You know, we have to be careful, as he said here, because for many walk of whom I've told you often, these are people we're reading about here, okay? People that I think we understand today in the church and He's speaking to the church. Please understand that he's not talking about unbelievers in the world. He's talking about maybe unbelievers in the church or believers that believe in the church, but they're walking wayward, okay? Either one, you might say. He, I believe he's either saying we're either for God or against God here, okay? When anyone directs people towards an alternate gospel, do you remember we read about that when we went through the book of Galatians? Galatians chapter 1 if you look at verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, to an alternate gospel. And that's exactly what was happening. And I think that's what's happening today, don't you, in the church? There are a lot of churches today that either aren't teaching the Bible or you go in there and it's kind of like when you check in, you put your coat on the hanger and you put your Bible above it. And then you proceed to walk into a sanctuary. And I don't know what you do in there then. Maybe the ears get tickled. Maybe there's a little bit of entertainment. I don't know. Maybe a show, a dance. I'm not sure. And I'm sorry if that's crass. I'm not trying to be crass. I'm in love trying to direct us back to what he was warning this church of Philippi that we are actually seeing today. And that's why I know we're living in these last days because I believe that's all precipitous to a falling away. Because if you're biblically illiterate and you have no idea what your Bible teaches, you have no idea of the God you serve, and you have no real relationship there, and you begin to be told, well, that doesn't really matter, and you have grace upon grace, you know, antinominalism, a big fancy term. It's that pendulum, right? You have legalism all the way to the left. All the way to the right, you have antinominalism, right? We want to, 1 Corinthians 14.40, do all things with, you know, in fullness in the middle right here. You know, I don't want to use the word balance. I don't like that word. But we certainly want to say grace upon grace, and therefore we don't have to obey the commandments and statutes of God. That would be an error. We certainly don't want to say we have to obey all the commandments of God and keep ourselves under ceremonial law, which we're not required to do. That would be an error, right? It's the fullness of love and truth. Well, as he's saying this, just think about this in that day. What was going on in the church of Corinth and the pagan worship and the sexual immorality going on in that church? Just think about the legalism that was going on in Galatia and how Paul was hearing, that was one of the first churches he went to Galatia, right? And how he turned around and he was hearing about how the Judaizers were coming around and taking all these people that had 
come to Christ, believed and professed faith, and then he came and he, un, you know, these men were underseating that and said, you're not really saved. Can you imagine if somebody came into you and tried to propose an authority and said, oh, you're not really saved? How dare you? But that was happening to these men and women. They were converts. They had just converted to Christianity. And then, and then to only find out, well, maybe they didn't believe. Or maybe they didn't, they didn't, you know, keep the religious practices. Therefore, they weren't accepted by God. That would be crushing. I can't imagine that, what that would feel like to be told by, you know, somebody that practiced Judaism that was saying, well, you must keep all the laws of Judaism. Meanwhile, Paul, the apostle, Pastor Paul, was coming in saying, no. No, that's, it's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. That must have been difficult for them to wrestle with that insecurity. Am I really saved? Am I not saved? So he knows what all this, he knows what this does when you introduce religion and all of these other things rather than just staying to the word of God, just staying to the teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, not religion, rituals, traditions, even wisdom by men. In effect, all of those, we must declare it, all of those are a false or alternate gospel. That's how cults are started. That's how cults are started. I, I would draw you the attention of Mormons. You've heard me mention it before. Mormonism. They believe the Bible, but then they believe in another book that's not inspired, right? And because of that, they, they do a lot of religious practices in a temple, you know, special underwear, the whole thing. I mean, I, I don't say that to be mocking or to, to belittle. I'm just saying this is what happens when left to man and the imagination. What won't he do to strive or to create a workspace mentality to constantly be stretching or trying to earn or even some way put himself above everyone else so that somehow he's more holy than somebody else is. You leave it up to me? That, that's the kind of carnality I have in my brain. If it wasn't for the word of God, left up to my own devices, right? Maybe, maybe I'm alone here, but, but that's the reality, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Um, I think of the, the Catholic Church. You know, I was raised Catholic. I can remember a lot of the teachings in the Catholic Church. You know, the, the, the rosary, the different sacraments, and these things like that. And, and yet, I wasn't drawn closer to Jesus in those things. I was drawn closer to a workspace mentality of doing certain operations to somehow earn favor with God. How that must have grieved your Lord, my Lord's heart. Because Jesus, when I went to Calvary, to pay it all so you could come to me. Not so that somebody could put an artificial barrier or as it used to be in the temple, the curtain, if I'll say it that way so you understand what I'm talking about, that was ripped in two so that we could come into the Holy of Holies and fellowship with God the Father. But to re-sew that up again so that there's a barrier? God forbid. I think of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, and on and on and on. You can, you can continue to go on and on. And, and these are where cults come from. Because they started the application of Scripture, but then they go wayward because 
asceticism. I mean, even look at the early church, the early church fathers. If you ever go back and, and study the early church fathers, they would throw themselves in fire in some way so that they could earn favor with God to understand the suffering of what it must have been like for Jesus to have his hands pierced and his feet pierced and hung on a cross so they could entertain the suffering. That's not the suffering Christ was talking about. But this is what happens when we leave it to men. And this is what Paul in, in Philippi is warning these church. He's saying, guys, you're doing great. You're standing in the word. You, you, you're not listening to the teachings of men. You're not caught up in religious rituals. Don't go there. Because these men, they're, they're, they're going to raise themselves up. There's going to try to be a, a move of division within the church. Because the enemy, Lucifer, is not sitting idly by. And, and he's just making them aware of this, right? Directing people away from Jesus Christ. Now, again, some may do this innocently. Please, please understand, I, I believe that there are even pastors. Many of them you might see them on TV or I think of, of men that are teaching a faith and prosperity gospel. They don't know their word. I don't believe that they're necessarily all hard-hearted, okay? Or they all have an agenda. They just simply are not in the word of God. And so because of that, they go wayward. It's not uh, necessarily an evil thing, right? But there are people, as we read here, and you look at verse 19, it makes it clear there are people that subvert the truth and lead those into destruction. We, we can't get away from that. Teaching them to favor fleshly desires. We, we can't ignore that. That's what Paul is saying. It's, it's impossible to live after earthly desires and live for Jesus Christ. I've come to that conclusion, and look, you can, be, you can be completely consumed with Jesus and be blessed with nice things, temporal things. I'm not saying that's not possible, but those things cannot be your first love, amen? That's what we're talking about. Those things cannot be your first love. However, if your first love is material things or possessions of earth that are going to fade away, then then you're not living for Jesus Christ. Would, would you all agree with that? Again, it's motive of heart. Can anybody here judge that? Not a single person. That's between you and Jesus. You know what takes prominence, first position in your heart. Likewise, worshiping a man, rituals, traditions, religions, are they not all going to also lead you astray? Yes. Jesus Christ is God, and we worship him. He's our Heavenly Father. It's, I hate to say it, it's that simple. It's, it's really that simple. I'm not, please, I'm not trying to put anybody down here this morning or, or browbeat anybody or make anybody feel insecure that way, but it, it really is that simple. It's Jesus. He's madly in love with you. He's madly in love with you. And, and you consume his heart. You're the apple of his eye. And please remember, Scripture teaches us that that was while you were depraved, and you were in sin, and you were lost, and you were a creation of God, not a child of God. And he had those feelings towards you, those more than feelings, that agape love, that unconditional love towards you. Please remember, that's where we started. Even pastors, I, I love to speak to pastors on these things because we can get so called, caught up on what we do. This becomes who we are, right? Ministers of the Lord. But please remember, I'm a son of God before I'm ever a pastor. I'm a child of God first. That's my identity in Jesus Christ. And then I follow in obedience to the things he's shown me. 
But doesn't that just, just think about that this morning. The same thing for you. Doesn't that just take that weight off? That's not yours to carry. It's not, it's not the yoke he's given you. That's his yoke. He's God. That's not the yoke we're to have. And that just immediately kind of, oh, right. You know, we read the word of God to know him, right? To understand how we're to live our lives. A pattern, as we read earlier. How to follow his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. For our well-being, for our protection. Not because we want to gain something but because we've already gained everything. You know, your direct understanding of who God is and how you look at him, your father, on whether he's good is going to ultimately determine your outlook as a Christian. If you believe that he is a father that is looking to get you, if I can say it that way, I think you understand what I mean, then you are constantly going to be on guard. You're never going to enter the peace which he has for you. You're never going to enjoy that rest that he wants to give you. But if you see him as that good, good father, and you know that at any point, you know, you can close your eyes and spiritually just imagine climbing up in his lap and just allowing your head to rest on his bosom that way, as the disciples did when they were in the upper room. And you just, I went there for a minute, didn't I? Sorry, I'm with you. I'm like, hi, I'm back. No, you, you literally go there and you, you, know, you picture just that rest that he has for you. Everything else just begins to fade away. Even the worst circumstances in this world can't come close to Jesus Christ's love. It's, it's all identity. It's all identity. But, yes, that means we need to freely do what? We need to be willing to die to ourselves daily in every aspect of our lives. Everything we have is from him and belongs to him. That's the idea of not being, as it says in 18 and 19, being driven by our desires, by our bellies, right? Look, you guys know I love to eat, right? We, we joke around. We say calorie chapel sometimes. I love to eat, right? But that's not my desire. My desire is Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? My resurrected Lord. Nothing material on this earth can be sent ahead. Have you ever thought about that? Except the things which are done for eternity. Isn't that interesting? Nothing can be sent ahead except the things that are done for eternity. You know, you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and it tells us that Basically, treasures that are built in heaven are built for heaven and not on earth. That's the treasures we built up there. And I'll give you a simple example of this if you're looking for an example. Give someone and need a glass of water. Do it with the right heart. And that is a treasure built up in heaven. It can be found in heaven when you get there. It will not be burned up with the wood, the hay, and the stubble, right? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15? All these things that are temporal, all these things that are fleshly desires are all going to be consumed by the fire. And whatever remains, that's what we will be rewarded for. As Jesus wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again, if you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to go back and look at it. Chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. And this is important because it allows us to consider why we're blessed. And it also allows us to consider what's important to us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus tells us, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
You see, Paul is trying to help those in Philippi not be persuaded to listen to false gospels, not be seduced by their own personal desires, which ultimately leads to what? I mean, follow it to the nth degree. What's it lead to? Idolatry, self-absorption, right? Left to myself, I'm an, I have perfected idolatry. I'm not perfect at anything, but I assure you I'm a perfect idolater. That's the only thing I can perfect, right? Self-absorption. Driving, again, away from Jesus, Christ and discipleship, rather than driving to him. You see, it's contrary to being a minister of the gospel of reconciliation, which we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It's contrary. It's juxtaposed. It's, it's opposite. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, please. Let's look at chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke, that's actually you and I, we're bondservants of who? Jesus. He's the master, isn't he? Let as many bondservants who are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Again, living epistles. And those who, believing masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise a false gospel and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but, obs- but is obsessed with disputes, arguments, over words? You, you, you've met people like this, yes? From which come envy, strife, rivaling, ever, evil, suspicious, or suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who oppose the godliness, is a means of gain, thinking the worst things of everyone, or the worst things of the church, or the worst things of the pastor. He says, from such, withdraw yourself. He says, don't keep company with them. But those who desire, well, sorry, let me back up. Do do you understand why he's saying this? Because he knows the root of the heart. He knows our depravity that if we're not sold out for Christ, these are the things we're going to be led into. We're going to be deceived by. He's warning us that way. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. You cannot be content perfectly without Jesus Christ, I believe, because you're still going to be striving for something. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Isn't that interesting? We should be content with whatever we have, whatever God's blessed us with. We should find contentment in that. But I hope you're honest with me here this morning and we're being transparent with each other. We have Christmas coming, right? I know people have already jumped over Thanksgiving and the stores have already made the Christmas uh, ornaments and decorations and all that stuff out already, right? When did it go so quick? I don't remember, you know, I mean, at least they had uh, enough 
sense to wait till Thanksgiving. And like the day after, they would then put out the Christmas stuff. Now they're like, you know, I understand this year. Everybody in 2020 is like, hey, man, just bring up some lights. We want joy, rejoicing. Okay, I get it. I get what's happening this year. But I mean, generally speaking, they've commercialized Christmas entirely. It, it, people have no idea. Many people have no idea why we even celebrate Christmas anymore. It's what, where's the loot? What am I getting? Right? It's, it's so sad, but I think it's pointing to the desperation of the world and just how far gone we, this world really is. And it's not that we're just to cope and survive in this world, but we're overcomers here. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to be content within our situation. We're to also go and try to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. Because after all, somebody loved us enough to invest in us, didn't they? We hadn't arrived. And because they did that, we were able to be set free. Again, there's nothing wrong with, like, getting a Christmas gift or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I see a couple of young people in here. All of a sudden, they were like, oh, man, Pastor, that got heavy. What are you talking about? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the aim, is it? We celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. You see, he's warning them to find contentment where you're at. Do you know that in America, even in the poorest of poor areas, they're still far more rich than most third world countries? We wake up every day striving and struggling to figure out, at least I do, or many that I know, trying to figure out how are we paying our electric bill? How are we paying the water bill? That means you have electric. That means you have water. You can go to a faucet and turn it on, and it comes out, and hey, it's hot. How about that, right? Instant cocoa, baby. Instant cocoa, right? You're in. Tea. I don't know. Maybe tea's your thing. You know what I mean? Really, think about it. Go on a, go on a missions trip. I encourage you to go on a missions trip. I've, I've been to Central America. You know, I was in the jungle. There was none of that. You know, a young man climbed up a tree, got a papaya, or no, it was a mango, excuse me, and brought it down. He's like, for you. That was like the greatest gift that that young boy could have given me. In two years, he was going to go and serve in their military because they required two years to, I think the boy was 14. And I remember just thinking, this, what a heart this young man had. And he was giving me the greatest gift. And you know what we had for breakfast? Sugar water. Sugar water. That was common. And that was a blessing, by the way. Because some people just had regular water. They didn't have the sugar. Because it, it gave you a little bit of get up and go. And then rice. I don't know how much rice we ate there. Rice upon rice. And then a family, we went out to dinner at, a, at like a, I won't call it a restaurant necessarily. It was, I guess. But it's not the kind of restaurants that we would think of. But even on the side of the roads, there, there was a woman. She had this, um, like, flame, open fire, that she was taking corn and pressing it down and making actual, like, tortillas. And then if you came by, there was chickens running around, right? And she'd grab a chicken, and I'll tell you what, man. She, you know, one hand, the head, some of you are like, whoa, that's more than you. Yeah, you don't know where your food comes from anymore. But boom, the head comes off and everything. And I'm like, well, that's efficient. <laughs> that woman's like, you know, Bruce Lee over there or something. You know? And I'll tell you what, the best chicken and rice I ever had in my life. Love my wife. Excellent chicken and rice. But that was, okay, it was a near close to best chicken and rice. I do want chicken and rice in our house again. The best chicken and rice I've ever, I'll tell you what, it was so fresh. 
And you know what? My wife always says it. A meal is always better when it's cooked with love. Isn't it true? There's a difference when it's cooked with love. And so these, these ladies that were, they just absolutely loved the people. And they, and they took you in like you were part of their home. And they would cook for you that way. And it was such a beautiful thing. And, and you know, how much? How much do we give you? You know, 50 cents, 75 cents. So you give them 20 bucks. And they just like, no, no, no. Then you're insulting them. And they wouldn't take it. So you give them a dollar or two. And then they're like, okay, okay. And then the kids come up and then they get to eat. And they get to partake of what you just got to eat because now there's enough money for that. We have no idea, friends. Many of us have no idea what it's like. Even in the poorest areas of America, we are wealthy. And we, we need to find contentment where we're at. That's a, uh, I know the Lord speaks to my heart on that, specifically and purposefully, right? Oh, my. I'm looking at our time, and <laughs> I think we're, we're not going to get past verse 19 here this morning, but, hmm. I think the point is Jesus is our Lord. He's our master, right? We're his servants, it's tricky to ascertain motives, right? We don't, want to, we don't want to go on a sin hunt. We're not walking around the church going, is your belly your Lord? We don't want to be doing that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know what? Let's go. One more, one more passage, 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians and we'll, we'll, we'll finish here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at verse 5. Paul is going to go through, you know, he's the most imminent, you know, or is not in, at all inferior, right? Verse 5 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he says, For I consider that I am not all inferior to the most imminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech. Isn't this interesting? Paul, so well trained in speech. What he's saying is no longer do I rely on that. No longer am I trying to persuade men with a, a, a tongue. Have you ever heard somebody say, boy, you have a, a, a golden tongue or you have a golden, you know, you have this gift of speech? I think it's like the worst thing an under-shepherd can hear because it points back to the individual rather than to the glory of God. It's almost like, ah, oh, because it's persuasion, right? Not that Paul doesn't say he persuades for the gospel. He does, but it's so much better when people see Jesus it's so much better when I fade away up here and you no longer see my mug, but all you hear is Jesus Christ because you read his word. And when you walk out of here, you don't remember what I look like. You don't even remember my name. You don't even care that way. I mean, you care because you love me and I love you, but you know what I mean? None of that matters. And all you remember is the words Jesus Christ has given you because that's when it's going to last you for eternity. His word's never going to fail away, fade away or fail that way. That's beautiful. For he says, for I consider myself or that I am the unfair to the most imminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in these things. Do not, do I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel for your charge? If you remember what was going on, it's because he didn't charge the church of Corinth. He wouldn't take a salary or any type of stipend for them because he knew they were going to use it and other men would come up behind him and trying to cheapen the gospel. As we just read in verse 19, it was about their bellies. 
there are people out there that are trying to get rich off the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to have to one day meet Jesus. And notice I said they're going to have to meet Jesus. My point is they're not doing it in the love of Christ. One day they're going to meet Christ, and they're going to have to give an account for that. And I do not want to be anywhere near them when that happens because to do that to people, you know, as though God is bankrupt. You know, send us your million dollars because if not, Jesus can't. I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing? My God has cattle on a thousand hills. When he wants to move, you know, where God guides, he provides. Not that we don't obviously offer. We do. We do the offer. We do those things. We give unto the Lord. But that's worship, not because somebody's persuading us. Paul is saying that here because he knew that there were men standing by, that they were going to look for an opportunity to assume a role and position so that they could fleece sheep. He says, you know, taking wages for them to minister you. And when I was present with you, and indeed I was a burden to no one, for what, uh, for what lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Who do you think that is? Philippi, chapter 4, verse 14 through 18. We're going to read that next week. I was a bird to no one. For what I lacked, the burden came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome, so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Acacia, right? That's South Greece. That's the Corinth area. Why? Because I, I do not love you. He's saying that like, you know, are you serious? He says, God knows I love you, right? But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity for those who desire the opportunity to re- to be regarded just as we are in the things which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Do you see that? It's just like Satan, right? He appears as an angel of light. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their what? What's it go back to again? Do you see it there? To their works. That was Jesus Christ's protection for us, to not have us enter in a workspace mentality, right? We read it sometimes and and, and struggle with that, but it was actually a protective mechanism to not strive, that we couldn't boast, that we would give our favor and glory to God that way. And those teaching heresy, again, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, but the fruit will show their works, right? He said uh, that you will know my people or you will know them by their fruits, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And that's why I'll leave you with this. Some of you have heard a mirror. You've heard different men say we need to be watchmen. And they'll go to Ezekiel as a passage. I love the passage in Isaiah. The passage in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. We need to be watchmen, yes, but we need to be making mention of the Lord. There's the latter half of that equation. That's Isaiah 62, 6. Not only are we watchmen on a wall, but we are also making mention of the Lord always. Amen? We'll stop there this morning. Uh, Go ahead and read ahead the rest of chapter 4. Next week, we'll probably just close out the book. Lord willing, I say that, but um, (laughs) we may get two, three verses again as the Lord leads us, but uh, we're going to get all the meat off the bone. We're going to get all the meat off the bone. I I recognize that there's some people here that maybe uh, this is the first time you're reading through the book of Philippians, and I think it's important we understand good 
context of what's going on and also how it compares to the rest of scripture. In other words, what did God say in other passages? Just building this up, encouraging us, understanding this truth, telling us to be aware of the days we're living, that there will be those workers that seek after things to feed their own bellies. But again, don't go on a sin hunt, okay? Don't go on a sin hunt. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Tonight, we do not have corporate prayer. The leadership is, uh, I think some of you may know, we're looking at land as first and second services. We're running out of space, especially with the school here. We're looking to build a building, uh, but we do not want it to be a distraction to the Word of God going forward. That's one of the mandates. So um, as we're praying, please be praying for us that we can find that. We, we've, we've identified a parcel land, but we really want to know it's the Lord. So we're waiting on confirmation in Scripture that this is what we're to do. And then we're also waiting on um, just, uh, you know, God's leading in those endeavors. So that when it's time, we do those things. But we're going tonight to look at uh, another building as an uh, idea of what can be set up as a, a, a shell. Some of you heard of butler buildings. They kind of had these shells that can be set up, and so you can do the inside. And so we're going to be going looking at that. So there is no corporate prayer tonight at uh, uh, 6 uh, p.m., so I want to encourage you pray at home. <laughs> Don't not pray. Please be praying at that time because we're going to be going out and just seeking the Lord and those things. And then we, uh, uh, if the Lord should tarry, um, we'll see you on Wednesday night at 7 p.m., okay? Father, we thank you that you're going before us, Lord, for your grace, your kindness. And Lord, thank you for the reminder constantly to rejoice. Lord, as you've just taught us here this morning, as you were speaking to the church of Philippi, Lord, we, we pray that our hearts would be right, Lord, before you, that, that we would be examples, Lord, to men and women, that we would be imitating you, Jesus. You would be our, our eyes would be placed on you. You would be our example, Lord. And we pray, God, that you will protect us from all temptation. Lord, that you will not lead us into works of man, caught up in, in things that man does, Lord, to worship the works of God rather than the God, Lord, of the works. We pray for just renewal and intimacy uh, in our relationship with you, Jesus, and for just you to seal the word of God in our hearts here this morning. Go before us, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for the divine appointments that you're going to set before us this very week. We ask you to bless the food that you'll put before us today, Lord, that it would be nourishment, recognizing just how blessed we are from you, how you meet every one of our needs, God. And Lord, thank you for the privilege to worship. Thank you for the blessing that we have to just come together as a body and all the heavenly singing with us when we lift holy hands, Lord, in worship here. We just thank you for all of it, Lord. We love you, and we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful week in Christ Jesus.